Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Hey, church, how are we doing this morning? Oh, we're doing good, huh? So welcome to the Gathering of the Branch Church. Uh, we are super glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I'm not going to lie, when I came up, I saw a look on a couple of your faces. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about? That It's kind of like a, thanks guys, I appreciate that. It's kind of like a, dang it look, right? It's okay, you can be honest. It's, it's the, dang it, Gabe's not teaching this week, I totally could have slept in. Like, I'm serious, no, no hate here. I, I mean, I completely do the same thing, right? Like if I'm listening to a podcast and I'm expecting to hear like a, a, a David Platt or a Matt Chandler or something, I turn on the podcast and I hear some other dude's voice, I'm like, dang it, I was hoping to hear a good sermon today. No, that's bad, right? Like I'm a pastor and I say that, there's, there's no hate here, but like, I, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys have chosen to come and gather with us here as a church this morning. Um, we're really here to do three things. We're, we're here to know Jesus, believe Jesus and obey Jesus. Uh, we believe that that is a great definition of a disciple, someone who in all of their life knows Jesus, believes Jesus, and obeys Jesus. Uh, so specifically what we're doing here um, is just a part of our everyday life. We're here at a Sunday gathering to know Jesus, believe, and obey him. Uh, so we're here to, to know him through learning his word. We're here to, to believe him because of his word. Uh, we show that belief through our response. So we worship and uh, we will have communion. And, and finally, we're, we're here to obey him. So we're here to obey in a, in a Sunday gathering, and, and that just looks like because of the great love that Jesus had for us, we can't help but serve uh, one another and serve God. So um, that's why we're here this morning. So that's what we're gonna do. Uh, for some of us that haven't met, my name is Kyle. I'm the community pastor here. Uh, I've had the privilege of helping lead this thing over the past three years. Uh, so Gabe is not here. He is out in Pullman, Washington at the Hitchhikers Conference. It's a church planning conference. So he's out there suffering from the Lord, uh, hanging out with uh, one of our former interns, Jay. Uh, they're at a church called Resonate. Resonate uh, does church planting and they're killing it. Uh, they do it inside collegiate context and outside. Uh, so Gabe is out there on the behalf of the staff uh, and the elders. What we're trying to um, do by having him out there, he's trying to learn as much as he can to be able to bring it back to us and, and equip us here to keep this thing going. So uh, over the past really 13 months, uh, this whole no believe and obey something uh, that we've been kicking around, uh, that's what we've been doing. We've been taking one book of the Bible. So if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been in Luke for about 13 months now. So, um, but if we remember, Luke was written for the purpose of discipleship. So we, we love walking verse by verse um, through the gospel of Luke. Uh, we, we've entitled the sermon series A Meal with Jesus because there's some commentators and some theologians that we love that say that in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal going to a mill or coming from a mill. So Jesus was doing discipleship in every bits of life. Uh, and that's what we wanna do as well. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're, we're gonna learn his word. Um, we're gonna pray. Um, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna worship. So uh, let's, let's dive in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Luke 11. We'll be in verses 29 through 36 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a white Bible on the table. I see a couple of you guys have it. Um, please take that. That's, that's our gift to you. So um, let's go ahead and, and dive into Scripture and, and see what the Lord is saying to us this morning. Starting verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. 
For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when, you're, when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful that we can come in this morning, uh, sit under your word, uh, that we get to gather as your church. God, I ask that you do what only you can do this morning and, and show us from your word, Jesus, what you are trying to say to us here in Dahlonega in 2017, Father. Um, there's so much love that you have for us and, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do this morning through your word and, and, and I believe um, that it's going to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So how many of you guys are like a sucker for a really good like romantic story? Show of hands. Okay, a couple ladies. I see mostly ladies. Uh, yeah, dudes are, you know, there's, there's some dudes in here. This is completely off. Like you are romantic, but you're just not showing it. Like for me, I, you'll probably see this at some point in the sermon. Like I'm a romantic at heart, even though my wife not, might not agree with me. Um, but I, I really am. I'm a sucker for a good love story. Like I'll probably even get emotional in parts of this sermon today. Um, but I want to tell you a really, really great love story. Um, and this story is uh, of, of my parents, of how they first met. Um, and I love that they're sitting right here. They're already smiling. Uh, I love telling the story. So earlier uh, this month, they celebrated 30 years of marriage, uh, which is fantastic. I was able to uh, kind of, I guess, reofficiate their wedding. But I want to tell the story of how they first met. So um, if you're married in the room right now, you may be thinking back to the first time you and your spouse saw each other and you just knew it was meant to be. If you, uh, look at Dylan. He's he a sweetheart, man. Uh, if, 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 if you're dating in the room, you might be thinking the first time you, you locked eyes across the lecture room when you're bored out of your mind and you just knew that that person was it. If you're single in this room, you really hate me right now. Um, no, but seriously, I'm telling you, wherever you're at on that, I promise there's going to be a moral. I'll give you one thing, one moral of the story from what my parents' uh, story is about how they first met. Um, Partly I like telling this story because it makes them look bad and not me. So I'm a, I'm a pastor. I can't have you guys thinking I'm a sinner, right? No. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, oh, they, someone thought that was a little too funny. Uh, but so as the story goes, uh, it's Duluth, Georgia, uh, circa 1800 or something like that. Um, but so uh, my, my grandparents were out of town. And like any good kid, my mom throws a party. So... Uh, but she was good. So, uh, she didn't invite any boys to the party. It was just girls to the party. She's already looking sheepish over there. Uh, but she was good. Um, but here comes my dad, right? My dad and a bunch of his buddies find out that they're having this party. Stalker. Uh, finds out, invites himself to the party. And he's like, hey, let me into the party. And my mom is like, no, 
No, she closes the door, locks the door, and calls the police. She's not playing games. She's like, no. So either my dad's friends are really stupid or my dad's really smart. Probably a combination of the both because all of his buddies get arrested, right? And my dad doesn't because he hides in the bushes. So I'm like, man, think on your feet. So he's hiding in the bushes, and as soon as the story goes, he's throwing rocks at this window, right? This may not be how it's going, but I just imagine him throwing rocks at the window. Um, and he's hoping my mom comes to the window in like this Romeo and Juliet moment. But like I, I, another girl comes to the window and my dad's quick on his feet and he's like, baby, I'm, I'm, a, I'm here for you. I, I want you, just you gotta let me in. You're the one I want. Like, I, I, oh man, this is weird. I just had to stop. Like if that woman's listening on podcasts, that would be really awkward. Uh, but uh, so yeah, side note too, ladies, if a guy ever says that to you, he's either up to no good or he's lying. So don't, don't, don't trust him. But um, dad, hear me say, I'm, thank you. <laughs> I would not be here if you, if you didn't do that. So thank you. Um, but so history, you know, it, it's all history now. He gets in the party and he goes after my mom. Um, so for some of you single people in the room, I, I promised there's a moral to that story. Um, and the moral of the story is uh, be a stalker. So, <laughs> no, but, uh, but seriously, like, this is a side note. I didn't know if I wanted to bring this up, but I may or may not have overheard in one of our missional communities this week of a group of girls who are kind of stalkerish. Um, I, I, I love them, but girls in the room, tell me if this is true. If you see a guy that's attractive or you think it's hot, you sneak trying to take a picture of him so you can send to your other girlfriends to see if they approve. That's creepy. <laughs> can we please just stop that now? Like, that can't be a thing. Yeah, that's all the laughs of truth going around here. Uh, but all of this is funny. This is a great story, right? But I think, I think there's a parallel for us to consider here from my dad's story uh, that Jesus is saying to the crowd. And I think that parallel is just as my dad drew close in proximity to this other woman, his heart was really far away. His heart was set on my mom. And I think Jesus to us is saying we should consider that this crowd may be drawn close to Jesus in proximity, but their hearts were really far away. Normally, I don't, I, I don't like to try to, to read into text something to put that out there, but I think that's what the Lord's having us do uh, this morning is, is let's consider that. Don't, don't just take my word for it. I, I think we should dig into the text and see if that is true. So let's do that. So uh, we're just gonna read a little bit and talk. Um, I'll talk a lot. If you guys know me, I'm a verbal processor, so we'll get some of this out. So picking up in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, comma. I think that's a good place just to kind of put a quick little note in. If we remember that Luke was written for the purpose of discipleship. So Luke is writing this letter to a guy named Theophilus. So we've been calling him Theo. He's been writing him for the purpose of discipleship to show him something. Uh, if you have a red letter Bible, uh, meaning like if Jesus is speaking, uh, all of his words are in red, you'll notice that in the rest of our text today, that the rest of it's red, it's Jesus speaking. And just here, it's, it's Luke speaking to Theophilus. Now, why is this important, you may be asking. It, it's important because of what Jesus begins to say that Luke is trying to draw attention to. So what is Jesus saying? He says, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. 
So he's, he's saying this as the crowds are increasing. Jesus is saying this as, as people are coming around. Most scholars believe that Jesus is about two and a half years into his ministry. This is the peak of his ministry. All these people are following Jesus all throughout the wilderness, through the desert, leaving their homes. They are following Jesus. The crowds are large. And this can be a whole separate sermon, even of itself, especially for pastors, that Jesus was not impressed with the size of the crowd because he knew their hearts were far away. How important is that for us as well? Don't be deceived just because people are here. Don't be deceived just because there's a lot of people. Just don't be deceived because the approval is here. What this lesson in discipleship, what Luke is trying to say to Theophilus, like I said, could be a whole other sermon, is don't be impressed because their hearts may be far away. But as I, as I started reading this, um, especially just taking this part, when, when Jesus is saying, this is a wicked or evil generation for they seek for a sign, I had a hard time with this this week. Is it just me? Does, does this not seem like out of the character of Jesus? Have we not just read for 11 chapters in Luke about how Jesus, maybe some of these same people who had been following Jesus that made up this crowd are the same people that Jesus looked out over and he said he had compassion for. And so he performed a miracle of breaking the bread and the fish and, and feeding the 5,000. Isn't, could it be possible that this crowd could be some of the same people that Jesus looked out over and said, how I long to draw you near to myself, but you weren't willing. But now all of a sudden, now that the crowds are increasing, now that people are, are rubbing shoulders literally with Jesus, now that he's sitting down eating meals with these people and the crowds are increasing, he's saying they're wicked? It, it didn't make sense to me. And, and not only wicked, but they wanted a sign. Isn't this the same Jesus that just performed sign after sign after sign? Didn't we just hear two weeks ago how he cast out a demon? And didn't we, isn't this the same Jesus that fed the 5,000, that he healed the blind, that he healed the leper, he healed the paralytic, the woman with the bleeding disease, he, he healed the centurion's servant? Isn't this the same Jesus that performed all those signs? I mean, if you think back to your Old Testament, you realize like the prophets in the Old Testament would perform signs to show that they truly are who they say they are. So Jesus is partly showing these signs because he's showing that he's the Messiah. And, and then it, if you ever get to a point in scripture where something's not making sense, you need to dig a, a, a little bit deeper. Um, and it just kind of hit me. Not just it, I, I know the spirit brought this to my mind is if you take a look, like we said, this is red letter or it's Luke speaking. Did you guys notice, did anyone in the crowd ask for a sign? Did anyone? It, wasn't it just Jesus and Luke speaking? Like I, I had to be encouraged this week. I really had to ask myself that question. Is, 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 it, is it bad to ask for a sign? And the Lord took me to Judges 6 where if, if you're familiar with Gideon, that Gideon asked the Lord for a sign and he says, Lord, uh, I really need to, to believe this is you. I'm gonna put a fleece out on the ground overnight and I need you to make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And the Lord did it. And, and then he said, Lord, forgive me. I, I need another sign. Like, I'm gonna do the same thing. Can you do the same thing? But can you do the opposite this time and, and, and make the fleece, whatever the opposite of what I just said was, the fleece dry and the ground wet. And the Lord did it. He wasn't angry with them. And, and sometimes, don't we think of God of the Old Testament as the angry one and Jesus in the New Testament the compassionate one? It wasn't computing in my mind. 
So what you need to do, church, is, is if you ever have that moment, there's something that you can do. It's, it's called hermeneutics. Uh, this big theological world, that doesn't matter. What it means is to use scripture to interpret scripture. The Lord doesn't leave us by ourselves just to try to understand what this means. Um, the cool thing for us, this story is retold in some of the, the other gospels. So if you want to flip over to Matthew uh, 12, verse 39, I, I want us to you know, keep your finger in Luke because we'll be there for the majority of the time, but I, I want us to see this with our own eyes so that way you know it's not me just up here making up something up. Um, but Matthew includes a word that I think is very important that Luke doesn't. So in verse 39, but he answered them an evil and, what's that word, church? Adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, when I saw that, I was like, I was expecting a clear answer and I saw that and it made me even more frustrated. Um, so now is Jesus saying that this crowd is wicked, it wants a sign and it's adulterous? And it's just like the spirit hit me. We're not quite there in Luke. We'll get here in the next couple chapters. But if you're familiar with Jesus of what he calls himself, he calls himself the groom. And he, we, the crowd there, are, are his bride. So keep that in mind. As, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper and see what Jesus is actually trying to say to this crowd here. So let's keep reading. He says, just right over top of that again. No sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So why is that idea of groom important? Little, little history, quick. If you, if you have time, go back and read Jonah. What Jonah did, the sign of Jonah, he was rebellious. The Lord asked him to go to the city of Nineveh to, to preach to one of the most evil people groups ever. And he was rebellious and went away, was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. That's the sign of Jonah. And Jesus is saying in correlation, that's the sign that they'll get, but for this generation, it'll be me. I will be the sign of Jonah. I will go and lay my life down and will spend three days in the grave. That's the sign they need. So what Jesus is actually saying here as the groom is he's going to lay down his life for the crowd, the bride. They may not understand it. What Jesus is saying to this crowd right here is they do not need another sign. What Jesus has done, all of his other signs are more than sufficient. What Jesus is saying to this crowd is that he is the groom and this crowd is adulterous in their hearts, adulterous in their eyes, like the parallel of my father, how his heart was not actually close to that woman. This crowd's heart's not close to Jesus. They wanna draw close to Jesus in proximity. Why? Because they want the benefits of being close to him. They're close to him, they see miracles. They're close to him, they get healed. They're close to them, they see this form of entertainment for them at this time. But their hearts are adulterous because all of those things are gifts from Jesus, gifts from the Father. But they're not the Father himself, they're not Jesus, they're not the groom himself. They are going after adulterous things that the Father gives that are good things. So you, you might be saying, where, what does this have to do with me? What, what does this crowd with, with maybe an adulterous heart have to do with me? Church, I would say that we are the crowd with adulterous hearts and adulterous eyes. 
We are the crowd with adulterous hearts and adulterous eyes. You see, Jesus goes on and he uses two illustrations here about the prophet Jonah with the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba with King Solomon. What he says, he's proving that very point to the crowd that they are adulterous. He's saying, you see, there's these two Gentile groups, the queen of Sheba, who is modern day Yemen, who traveled, it's a seven day journey to get to Judea where she went. She made it in three, historians said, but if you read the text, it says that she came from the end of the earth. Her eyes were fixed on the truth. And, and for the prophet Jonah, that Jonah went and he spoke, if you read, he only spoke eight words to the Ninevites. Only eight words, in Hebrew it's five words, and one of those words is nafik. You can do a little bit of study on it, what it means is an upheaval. Most theologians believe that when, when Jonah said that, that there would be an upheaval, that there was the wrath of the Lord. If they don't repent, there's wrath. But what I would say to you is I think he's saying that word nafik in Hebrew can also mean an internal upheaval, that, he would have an, that the Ninevites would have an upheaval, an upturning of their hearts and draw close to the Father. So with this parallel that Jesus is showing that you're adulterous, here are two Gentile groups. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd that think because they're close to the Father that they're good. He's saying, no, these Gentile groups sought me out not just for, to be close to me, but because they genuinely wanted to repent and they genuinely wanted to follow me. Church, don't we, don't we do that? You may not be agreeing with me now, but like, I would argue this is, is that the crowd wasn't just asking for a sign, that we aren't just asking for a sign because we think that we need more. But the truth is Jesus has already shown enough that we should know what we are really doing, what the crowd was really doing is a delaying tactic. They're acting as if though Jesus hasn't done enough. We act as if though, if Jesus, you'll do this or this. We already know, but our hearts are adulterous and we use this as a way to go and seek after those things our eyes are set on. What are some of those things our eyes may be set on? That are gifts from the Father, but not the Father himself. Are you a parent? What about your kids? They're gifts from the Father. Are you single? What about that want for a relationship or, or the first time you've had a relationship for a while? If you're in school, what about that degree or that job? All of these things are things that if the Father took from us, we would raise our fists and call them evil. I know that. I have the grandest desire in my heart to want children. And if I feel like he can't give me that, I raise my fist in anger at the Father. That is idolatry. It's adultery. It's going away from the groom and seeking after the things the Father is giving us. Francis Chan would say it this way, is the grandest gifts from the Father are given in abundance. But the question we have to ask ourselves is this, do we genuinely love the Father or just the things that he gives us? That's the question we have to ask. But the truth of all of this is, now that we do that delaying tactic, don't let me just argue that. I don't want this just to be me. Flip over to Romans 1. There's a text of scripture here that Paul uses to prove this point. If you might be arguing with me in my head right now, Kyle, I might be there, I might not be. Um, let, let's use scripture here. So we're gonna pick up in verse 19. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts and purity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed, amen. Paul is making that argument as well, that God is not hidden, God is not hiding, that Jesus wasn't hiding from the crowd, that he is not hiding from us, his signs are evident, what he has done is evident, that he is saying that we worship and serve the created rather than the creator. But church, hear me, there is such good news there. There is such good news in that he is not hidden. If you're back in Luke, let's read this together. This is the hope. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. Jesus shifts from those two historical illustrations to a a, a illustration of light here. And what he is saying is, I am not hiding from you. The crowd, I did not teach in back rooms. I was in the synagogues, I was on the street. For you, I am evident. Remember, he calls himself the groom. At this point, Jesus is two and a half years into his ministry and he is setting his face towards Jerusalem to go and lay down his life for this crowd. So at the beginning when I said I have this angst in my heart about how is is Jesus really evil here? Why does Jesus seem so ticked off? Why is he so peeved? But church, let me... Let me say he is not. This is not the character of God. Jesus is the loving groom that what he is going to do for this crowd and for you and I in Jerusalem. Speaking of the prophet Jonah, I'm reminded of the prophet Hosea, who the Lord had marry Gomer, a prostitute. He did this for a sign for the people to say, although you sell yourself into prostitution, The Lord had Hosea marry Gomer and she would sell herself into prostitution and Hosea would go and physically buy her back with money and wheat and barley. And she would do it again and Hosea would go back and buy her again. And go back and buy her again. Symbolically of what Jesus was going to do for this crowd, he was not angry with them. He is not an angry God. He loves you. He is going to Jerusalem to lay down his life and he is going to buy back the adulterous crowd and he buys us back with the price of his blood. That is the hope of the gospel that we do not have an angry God that has disappointed us, that is trying to push us away. That although we go after other things, although we serve other things besides him, He knows that, and he's a compassionate high priest. He's going to lay down his life to buy us back. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 6.20. 
He says, don't you know you were bought with a price? Your life is not your own. That Jesus has purchased us, the adulterous bride, out of this and bought for us a beautiful life with him. So if for the first time in your life it's starting to click that I am adulterous, that I want to draw close to God and look like I have my stuff together, Jesus is not entertained with that. He would call that wicked and adulterous just because to get close to him to see what you can get, whether it be the praise of man, whatever it would be, just to get near to him, he's not impressed because he's after your heart. You see, Matthew 15, 8 and 9 would say it this way, although these people draw close to me with their lips, their hearts are far from me. Jesus is after our hearts this morning, church. And, and, and when I was reading this text, the, the whole illustration of the lamp in the eye and it being bad and good was confusing. But when we, when we look at it through those lenses, it makes sense, right? When our eyes, Jesus is that lamp, he is that light that's shining through. When we, our eyes are focused on that, when we're focused on actually the groom and not the stuff that he could give us, <laughs> Everything is good. Our hearts are in the right place, our minds. We're no longer adulterous with our hearts and our eyes. We're focused on him. Everything's good. But when we just want to focus on the other things, it's bad. But when, when I got to this verse this week, verse 35, uh, it, was, it was a heart check moment for me. Um, it says this, it says, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. I asked Lord, what could that possibly mean? I think Jesus is just reiterating his point that the things that I give to you are good, but I'm better. I would argue, church, that the gifts that the Lord has given you that we tend to adulter and go after are good gifts. If your parents having kids are a good thing. If you're married, your spouse is a good thing. If you're, you have a career, the career is a good thing. Grandkids are a good thing. But what I would argue is don't mistake them for the actual light itself. They are just a reflection of the true light. Maybe, maybe this will make sense. Um, we, I was able to go to the beach a couple weeks ago and I was thinking about how beautiful city lights are, right? Like we kind of live out in the country here, but I love looking at city lights. I think, well, man, what could be more beautiful than those? And then I go out to the beach and there's nothing there but the stars and I see, oh my goodness. These city lights are beautiful, but sometimes they're so bright that we can't see the actual beautiful thing. And that's the Father. So we get to a point where we're asking Jesus, what do we do now? You may be asking me, Kyle, okay, you've, you've made this argument. I would argue that Jesus is making this argument for us that we, we are adulterous and that we go astray. What do I do? Because if you're anything like me, when I got to this point, when I was preparing for today, I felt a bit of hopelessness. Even though I know the gospel, even though I know Jesus is buying me back, I, if you're anything like me, you want a, an action step. Some of you guys might not be t type A like me, um, but at this point I see on some of your faces, you're like, okay, what next? Okay, 
You may have convinced me that I, I, I tend to adulterer and go after the things that the Lord gives me, not the Lord. Church, I would, I would argue that his kindness brings us to repentance. His kindness brings us to repentance. We may want to do all these things to try to repent or make ourselves clean or make ourselves better, but what we truly need is Hebrews, 1, Hebrews 12, one through three, is to fix our eyes on him, meaning Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, although he endured the cross for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him so that way you may not lose heart or grow weary. In this fight of this internal battle that we have, we're never gonna just get to a point where we get there, church. This, this big term is, is, is called sanctification. But the good news is that we have a father that every single time that we go and sell ourselves into prostitution or adultery like Gomer did, he buys us back. So whatever it is that the Spirit is bringing to your mind now that he is convicting you of that you hold in higher regard than him, the good news is every time you fall short, he buys you back. And what truly brings you to repentance is not trying to do something. It's resting in knowing that he has bought you back and that his kindness towards your sin is gonna draw you towards repentance. So as we do every week, just as Hebrews said, we fix our eyes on the cross. Because of all of this, because of Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem to lay down his life, we get to celebrate what he did by purchasing us back. So we take communion each, work, each week as a church family. And if you're still weighing out in your heart, what does this mean? What does this, what does this groom who, who, who purchased me back mean? Uh, our staff and elders would love to talk to you. Love to, to just try to fill in maybe some of the gaps there. If, if you're a part of the body, um, maybe look at communion a little differently this week is that this bread and this blood spilled for you is, is, is purchasing you back, sometimes daily. But he's not angry. His arms are open. So if you're not yet part of the body, we ask that you would respect this time. This is really sacred, and it's a celebration for us. Um, but when you guys are ready, communion will be open. Uh, the band will come back up and worship, and we will get to continue to respond to the good news that Jesus is purchasing us back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your cross. Thank you that although we can tend to love you for the things that you can do for us, God, that they're not bad things to want to give, get good gifts from you but Jesus, we confess that there's times in our lives that we draw close to you um, for what you can do for us. Jesus, would you show in our hearts that you are truly the one that is our ultimate gift. You are the prize that we will inherit when we get to your kingdom.
Jesus, would you give us the strength today to endure the weight of some of these difficult things that we go through so that way we can gain that crown, that ultimate joy, that ultimate treasure, that thing that will never leave us wanting is you. So Jesus, as you purchased back the crowd, as you've purchased us back with your blood, um, would you help us to remember that? What's gonna keep us from going and seeking after these things, what's gonna keep us from fixing our eyes on the bad things is only you and understanding how much your love is for us. Jesus, we're grateful that we get to be called your church, your bride, that in one day, all this brokenness will be gone. All this angst, all this sorrow, the turbulence of life here will be gone. And there will be a wedding feast that you say in Revelation where you will enter in and we will be with you, our groom, forever. And it will no longer be this metaphorical of feeling like your arms are wrapped around us. It will be you, Jesus, with your physical arms, with the holes in your hands wrapped around us saying, I know it was tough. I know there's so many things that get in the way. I know there's other things that your heart wants to go after, but I came for you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know every hair on your head. My thoughts for you are more numerous than the grains of sand in the ocean. And know that I cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. They are no more. They were purchased and you are covered now with that price of my blood on the cross. So Jesus, would you remind us of this daily? That the gospel that you have laid down your life for us is not just to save us, but it is to sustain us in the day to day when we grow weary. Help us to fix our eyes on you so we do not lose heart. Father, we're grateful for how you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.